Sometimes when you're driving down the road all by yourself, you begin to hear a voice that tells you you need to look around, pay attention. Maybe something isn't quite right. That voice is me. It's the voice of Gord. Welcome to Voice of Gord. One of the aims of this show since its inception has been to bring you people that might be a little on the older side, maybe a few more miles on them, maybe a little bit more wisdom to share. Folks who aren't necessarily on social media, you're not really going to bump into online. I brought you my friend Gavin from New Zealand a few episodes back. He's 74 years old and has seen some amazing things if you missed out on that one you should go check it out and my next guest is in much the same vein my very own uncle chris at 79 he's now retired but has had quite the life in the trucking business and uh, joins the show to share with you his experiences and the wisdom he's gleaned from a career both behind the wheel in management and as an entrepreneur starting his very own freight brokerage in 1985. There's lots of folks in freight world that listen to this show, and I think you guys will appreciate hearing from my uncle and what he has to say about the evolution of the business, the state of the industry, and and what makes for running a successful freight brokerage or just business in general. While we're here, I just want to thank everybody for listening. And sticking with the show so far, this is episode 25. When I first started this little project, I thought maybe I might get 12 or 15 episodes out, speak with a, a small handful of people I wanted to speak with, but it's sort of taken on a life of its own, and I'm glad you guys have all been along with me for the ride. As you know, the show's free, I don't charge any money, I have no sponsors, and I'm probably going to keep it that way. But I would really appreciate it if you shared this show, especially with other truckers and people in the logistics business and just anybody who might find it interesting. That's the only thing I ask, and I would really appreciate it if you passed it around. All right, let's get to my Uncle Chris. G'day, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Voice of Gord. I'm Gord. This is my voice. The other voice you're going to hear today, very special guest, uh, my Uncle Chris. He's a retired freight broker, former truck driver, and all-around good guy, and he's been very generously going to donate some time to us and let all you uh, young bucks out there in the world of freight brokering know what the score is um good day uncle chris hey how are you doing on there gordy <laughs> uh, i'm i'm doing really well this is awesome i'm i'm not sure um and don't take this the wrong way i'm not sure how many older folks uh listen to podcasts but um you're probably going to be my oldest guest thus far <laughs> yeah probably am yeah 79 years old now oh, 79, wow. summers in a, 79 summers and a lot of bad falls 
<laughs> All right. So uh, are, okay. you, are you at your place in Florida or are you back home in Stony Creek? I sold my place in Florida and back in Stony Creek. Yep. Cool. So what are you going to do for the harsh Canadian winter now? Live through it, I guess. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the long suffering Canadian. And I mean, that's, you know, as a returning snowbird, you know, you, you, you've been going to Florida for how many years now? Oh, geez, about uh, 20, almost 20 years, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. But I'll tell you what, the traffic's so bad down there, and uh, everything is so screwed up that I was glad to finally get out of there. You know? Okay, What and remind us, what, what town was your uh, Florida home in? Sarasota. Right. What do you think caused all the yeah. traffic and whatnot? Just all the people moving to Florida? Just because well, it's, it's too yeah. popular for its own good? That's about the right thing, you know. That's about the right thing, yeah. Yeah, it's just too much. I mean, the toughest time I've ever had in the trip when I drove down there from, from here in Hamilton to there was from Tampa to Sarasota. God bless me. I was on the edge of my seat all the way. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, well. Interesting. Well, it's a, it, was a, it, it was the right time to do it, Gordy. Right. Yeah. So it's yeah. a lo- it's a long way from uh, sort of central northern Ontario to Florida. So uh, start us off. Just introduce yourself for everybody. Uh, I, we're, we're, uh, so it's 79. So that means you would have been born in when? 1940 what? 1944. Right. I was born in 44. Yeah. Just toward the end of the war. Right. Yeah. yeah. And Grandpa was just getting ready to get in his tank and launch across the channel. Well, at that point, yeah, he was. He was three days behind the D-Day invasion. Yeah. Yeah. At uh, Normandy. So, yeah, he didn't get back from, uh, but they took him from there and they sent him to India. And he got back on a troop ship, American troop ship in 1946. Yeah. So he finally got home. you, you, You didn't see him at all for the first two years you were around. That's right. No, I was just a gleam in his eye when he left. <laughs> right. That must, that, that must have been fairly hard. I mean, it's it's hard to, you know, a- ask the dead what they feel about things, but I imagine grandpa probably, you know, that's that's a hard thing to do to go and fight a war when you got a newborn at home. Well, well, at the time, you know, at that time that was the life. That's the way life was, you know what I mean? It's a little different than it is today. Right. Yeah. And and you and Noni mm-hmm. would have been were you in Sudbury or Meaford or Burwash? Where were you? Yeah, guys? no, I was I was in Sudbury at that time. Yeah. Right. At that time I was, yeah. That's where I grew up. I was as a kid anyway, but I think okay. I left there I think I was seven or eight years old. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. when that's when grandpa and Noni decided to move to Hamilton. Exactly. Yeah. He took over a Sunoco station here in uh in in Hamilton, and uh, that's what we were doing. Right, and so what was the so? Grandpa obviously, you know, drove a Sherman. He was a tank driver with the Gray and Simcoe Foresters. And yeah, he was a tank commander. Yeah, amphibious tank commander. Right, and so those that's what, the the skills he would have picked up in tank operation maintenance and being a mechanic would have applied quite well once he got home. Oh, absolutely. That's why he ended up in the 
mechanical business, ended up as a master mechanic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah. so you had, you had the Sunoco station and then ends up working for Fred Norton at some point, correct? Yep. Freddie, Freddie Norton, Norton motor lines. Yes, sir. <laughs> Norton, Norton. <laughs> right. So this is back, this is back in the like 1960s when there was still regulation of rates and authorities, and it was much more difficult to get into the trucking business. Very much so. Not so much as in Canada, but in the United States it was, yeah. So how did... Canada wasn't too bad. How, how, what was the difference then in sort of regulation and authority acquisition? How did those two systems differ at that time? Uh, I think the ICC was very much uh, in control at that time. Uh, we're talking uh, early 60s, like 60, 61. You know, I left uh, even in the late 50s when he was working for Norton's. And they were running Toronto uh, or Hamilton, Winnipeg. And they would cross at Sarnia and go through, uh, go through Chicago and up into Winnipeg that way. I mean, because it was too tough running 11, which is, uh, you know, the Canadian side. Didn't they, didn't they not finish like the trans Canada highway, like 17 along Lake superior. That was, that wasn't that not completed until about 1968. Oh, I think even later than that, that, uh, you know, they used to take 11 and go up that way. And then, you know, through smooth rock falls and, uh, and Nipigon. Yeah. But uh, that was highway 11 that you ran up through uh, New Liskard and places like that. Hmm. So Norton's, they would go around the south route through Chicago instead of, uh, was, I guess yes. I, I take it the Mackinac Bridge wasn't built yet. Oh, yeah. no. Well, yeah, I think it was. But, I mean, most of the time they would not run the Mackinac. They'd run around it up through Wisconsin and uh, through Chicago. That's oh. the way we would run it. Oh, wow. That time. Awful off yeah. long way to go to Winnipeg that way. Oh, it, I think it was 1,350 miles. And if you ran the Mackinac, it was 1,250 or something, you know. Yeah, something like that. Right. Mm. So uh, Grandpa's working for Norton's. He's also spinning wrenches in the shop. And then, and then yeah. you, and then, and then you come along. So how, so, so how did you um, eventually end up? You, you worked for Norton's as well. Well, yeah, my dad brought me down there on Saturdays, and I was 13, 14 years old, and I would be, you know, I'd clean up stuff and do this and that, and then I got, as I got stronger, I used to bust tires on this thing, and uh, you know, I'd change tires on trailers, and then I'd wash out the. A lot of the trailers, because they, we used to haul a lot of meat from Winnipeg through northern Ontario, drop it all off. And by the time you got to Stony Creek, all the hooks would be there. I'd have to wash them all out, wash the trailers out, you know, and acid wash them all. <laughs> uh, you know, until I was, you know, I did that till I was about 17 years old, 18 years old when I left for the military. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So you spent some time in the Canadian Army. Yes, I did. Yeah, I spent uh, 1962 to 65 in the Canadian military, yeah. And then I got out. And what what, what were you doing in the Army? I was uh, with a 2SSM battery when I ended my career as a surveyor. Uh, to, you know, when they fired rockets and stuff in to 
places they wanted to know where they landed. So we would be there. <laughs> you don't want to. You don't <laughs> want to be firing blind. No, no. We would be the only ones up at the impact point. <laughs> yeah, my uh, a previous guest of mine, this uh, young fellow named Mike Lombard. He uh, he was in the American military, and he was an artillery guy. And I think I think uh, Dad, your little brother Leonard, he was artillery in Hamilton in the reserves. Yes, he was. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I was with RCHA in Petawawa. I was with the Whiskey Battery at that time, and then I was stationed back in Camp Shiloh with two SSM Battery. Yeah. Shiloh mm-hmm. out in Manitoba. You got it, man. Coldest place in the world. <laughs> <laughs> awful, only, awful. only place in the world that was a desert in Canada. It's a desert out there. Right. So a, good, a good place to practice firing artillery rounds. You got it. And missiles. <laughs> right. Yeah. So you, you, you get out of the military in 1965, and then what's next? Yep. Well, then I got involved at, uh, in the trucking operations. I, I worked for Norton Motor Lines then at night, working on their trailers and fixing things. And then I went to work for John Vermeulen, Johnny Spud, it was called, and I hauled potatoes, bagged potatoes all over the place. And, uh, then I went to work for uh, Orly Robertson, hauling iron from uh, Algoma Steel in Sault Ste. Marie back here and pulling trains. And then from there, I ended up uh, going to with another guy called Mike Magic. I was a, He was a broker, and I drove his truck, and I was hauling produce out of Florida. After that, I went to uh, work for Earl Paddock, International Iron and Metal. And uh, drove for them late 60s and early 70s until 73. But in the meantime, in between there, I'd worked for Norton Motor Lines as a broker, as a dispatcher. And uh, Charlie Gottron, who went to work for Atomic Transport, asked me to come aboard. And I left Paddocks in 73 and went to work for him as the terminal manager for Atomic Transport in Mississauga and uh, from there my career was more in management after that for a few years with them and then I was general manager for Melbourne Truck Lines from 81 to 82 and then I went back to Atomic because they asked me to come back and I was not happy with Melbourne at the time and I went back to work for them and and then I uh and a bit of a falling out with Atomic. Uh, because they're from Winnipeg, they're flatlanders, I used to call them. And uh, things, uh, uh, I decided really, uh, to start a brokerage operation because I could see the way things are going with it. That uh, Once the ICC dumped everybody and I could see that they were going to really come down hard on on uh, on the Teamsters Union, I could see that uh, this was an opportunity to get into the brokerage business. And that's then that's what started it really in 1985, 86. Right. So uh, I think yeah. something something that would have served you well, 
as being a manager at Atomic and at Melbourne is the fact like you started from the ground up, right? Like you literally, you're washing out trailers, you're doing tires, you, you hauled trains down from the Sioux, you've been to Florida, you've hauled refrigerated, you had all kinds of adventures with grandpa, uh, including surviving a rollover, uh, if I memory serves correct. <laughs> yes, that's very true. Yep. yep. Where did that take place? That took place back in the 50s when he ran at a load of stuff to go to Elliott Lake and a drunk hit us in the left front tire and tore it right out and flipped the, the whole unit over. Yeah, that was in up in northern Ontario, just south of North Bay. Yeah, that was quite a... I was a really kid then. I was asleep in a, in a, in a truck at the time. Yeah. So you are dozed I off in the corner in the passenger seat. Yep, I was in the jump seat. Yep. Back, <laughs> when back I woke then, up, I was flying through the air. <laughs> back then, they didn't have bunks. No, they didn't have bunks. No, <laughs> not in them days. No, sir. No, I. Um, it's funny no. listening to various people complain about how hard they've got it, and I think back to e- even as late as the 1980s when Dad worked for J Line for a little while. Townsley used to send him to New Brunswick with coils. And that old R-, R model Mac with no bunk on it. And he would stop in Heartland, New Brunswick. There was a fiberglass shop there and they, they built bunks. I think they called them uh, Heartland bathtubs or Heartland swimming pools or something. There was some like weird nickname for them. And Townsley would buy one. They would mount it on the back of the truck and poor dad would drive it all the way back from New Brunswick. And then they would take Townsley would take it off and sell it to somebody else. And dad knew yeah. get one, you know? That's right. <laughs> yeah. That's the way it was in those days, I'll tell you what. And uh, there's no such thing as air conditioning, you know, and you'd run a load for paddocks down into the, down into the city in New York and sit in the heat down there for Christ's sake and trying to get asleep. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, what the hell? Everything changes. I, but you know what? I'm going down the road today, and I think to myself, Thank God I'm not doing that anymore because I see the quality of driver and the quality of everything is not there anymore. You know, yeah. I mean, there's very few real quality drivers out there anymore. Yeah, many such cases. So when when you were working for Paddocks, um, and you know, I I, I want to shoot some credit to the Paddocks because, as you know, that's where I started working when I was a kid. And um, yep. the, pa- the Paddock family have been very kind to all of us, to yourself, yep. to dad, yep. to me. Um, they're a very, very good operation. Unfortunately, yep. uh, Earl passed on before I started working there. Um, but you would have known Earl Paddock personally. Uh, c- can you speak oh, yeah. to the sort of quality level of person that guy was? Oh, he was top, top level this guy helped more people in the trucking industry over the years than anybody else. A lot of guys got started because of him. So, I mean, you bear that in mind. Uh, you know, <laughs> he used, he used to call me the ice cream man every time I went out. Cause I always kind of dressed a little bit smarter than everybody else. And he's, he said, you look like an ice cream guy. He says, you <laughs> 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 used to make me, he used to make me laugh. <laughs> Yeah, and he always called me WC. Yeah. 
Right. And I, I believe I, and the paddocks have this um they have uh they name all of their trucks after former family members, friends and associates and, and, and employees, yeah. And employees and uh, my dad, Leonard McGill is driving unit number 550, which is the WC McGill, which is named after you. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah, they're always been very good to me. And you know what I'm doing now? I'm an escort driver for the paddock wide loads. Right. <laughs> so 50 years later, I'm still involved with those guys. And I sold them Paramount Freight Systems when we had that with our brokerage firm. And I sold that to them. That's right. You know, all that's, those all, all yeah. those all those Western stars. That's correct. And fifty three foot van trailers. Exactly right. Yep. Mm -hmm. So when you were um, when you were working for them in the seventies, mm -hmm. uh, running to New York and New Jersey and whatnot. Um, as you know, I live I live in Ithaca, New York now, which is not far from yep. Binghamton, and Binghamton yep. served as this. It's all, it's a crossroads, you know, 17, 81, 88. Yep. All these various yep. roads passed through there back in the old days. It was us route 11 um, before, yep. before they had built 81. And I understand yep. um, you guys used to stop there a little quite often. Oh and yeah. Hang that out was at a big a truck stop. Yeah. And hang out at a place called the parkway motel. Oh man. Yeah. It was a parkway bar. It was a bar right beside the restaurant. Which later no, became the, Country Bob's, correct? That's that's right. It became Country Bob's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like to I like to talk about Country Bob's as this sort of honky tonk throwback to a different time. I mean, it's been closed for twenty years now, but um, I think yeah. it's the, the the legend of the place. I, I'd love to find Country Bob's widow or girlfriend or whoever, and and talk to them about. The, the history of that place, like the, 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 just the people that would come and go through there. Could you speak to that a little bit? Oh yeah. I mean, you know, even when I became the, the general manager of Melbourne truck lines, I had 150 trucks running there into the U S picking up containers. I had 150 owner operators. Wow. At that time with Melbourne and we were picking up, you know, every day, the Maersk, Sealand, everyone, you know, and they would all be stopping at Country Bob's. And I knew there was kind of trouble down there. And I went to Country Bob's. <laughs> <laughs> I knew the kind of trouble they were getting into down there. So I went down and spoke to the, uh, the head of the um, police department of the highway there to, to ask him, you know, to keep an eye on this stuff. And he wouldn't even talk to me. He said, listen, this is the way it is and leave it alone, you know. <laughs> really? So and like this would be this would be like the New York State Police Detachment in Binghamton. That's right. Exactly. That was oh. a long time ago, man. And they but they couldn't do nothing about it and, and didn't want to really because so far there'd been no problems, so they were leaving it alone. Right. But I knew that there eventually there was gonna be a problem. Because I mean you got 150 tra vehicles going through there three times a week. You know, <laughs> I can imagine. Well, you know, you, 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 you get out of Hamilton or Toronto at whatever time 
uh, often late in the afternoon or evening. And then it's eight, nine, 10 hours down to New Jersey, depending on traffic and, you know, how many times you stop or, you know, how many scales you have to run around. And then, you know, you get, you yeah. get shagged around at the port and unload and reload. And I think a lot of them guys were about out of gas by the time they got back to Binghamton. Absolutely. Absolutely. Then get into the bar and have a couple of drinks. You know, you used to scare the pants out of me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And don't forget, when we were running in 70s and 71, 72, we could not cross the border until midnight on Sunday nights. Oh, that's right, because there wasn't anybody working. No, it wasn't just working because you weren't uh, a produce hauler. You were just a you know regular hauler of merchandise. You couldn't cross till midnight on Sunday nights. Whose rule was that? Was that U.S. Customs or somebody else? Yeah, U- U.S. Customs. Yeah, I remember so just... that that rule stayed in place until the early 1990s because I remember going with Dad when Dad worked for uh, Concord uh, out, of, yeah. out of Toronto for a little while, and the paddocks used to do this too on the weekends you could take your trailer and drop it at the border and they would give you some kind of number and that would get exactly. you to the, get you to the front of the line at Sunday night. Yeah. on Sunday night, because I mean, you cleared it earlier before this curfew come on. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was, it was something else. I mean, you couldn't leave the yard till 11 and you had to be in New York by, you know, nine in the morning or something to get it done. So, <laughs> It wasn't a great time, Sundays. And you always tried to spell Sunday with the family. Because you didn't get in until Saturday, and you were going out Sunday again, night again. Yeah, hard, hard oh, well. yakka. So, oh, well. Yeah. So uh, you, you have all this uh, experience throughout the industry. You work for the Paddocks. You work for Melbourne. You work for Atomic. And then you decide to strike out on your own. Um, what? what Correct me if I'm wrong here. Load brokering wasn't really was was it really a thing before deregulation came along? No, deregulation came as soon as that happened. I mean, you got to remember something, Gordy. A load from Toronto to Buffalo used to be nine hundred dollars. Wow, okay? that's how that's how much it was. It's only a hundred miles. When, if that, yeah. I know, but it was still nine hundred dollars. And if you wanted to go to uh, to uh, California, it was eight thousand. I would We're imagine. Talking... I would imagine it's about that now, though, isn't it? No, no, no. It's not even close to that. I mean, but the the point was, as soon as deregulation come in, a a good broker knew where all his all the trucks were. It didn't matter who was driving, but if they were a decent operator, they were in some place that you had loads, that you could find loads. And that's why brokerage was so prevalent. And, 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 uh, and, you know, we grew because we could find trucks in places where nobody else was. Right. So, so you and your partner, Jeff, start Lakeside, Was it originally called Lakeside Logistics or was it called yep, something right. else? Lakeside Freight Systems, yeah. Right. In Oakville. Yeah, that's where we went to Oakville because 
the phones at that time were the best places to be in was Oakville. Because you the could phones? still talk what to Trump. What do you mean? What do you mean by the phones? Well, the phone system at that time, you know, had, everything was long distance if we if we kept it in Hamilton. So we put it in Oakville so we could talk to everybody in the Toronto area for, uh, you know, no, no cost. Wow. Imagine. So just right now it's 2023 and we have all this technology. I'm speaking with you via zoom from home and it's costing us nothing. People regularly send things digitally. There's like, there's people alive today that have no idea what you mean by long distance with regards oh, yeah. to phones so right. you, you you're starting this business and you're basing the location of your office around the fact that you cannot make phone calls from hamilton to toronto without incurring a significant upcharge so you have to move your you office it. halfway to toronto that's exactly right <laughs> and this is 1985 <laughs> This this is 1985, yeah, 80, 85, 86, yep. Wow, yeah. So a little lesson there for you, youngins. <laughs> and when you yeah. start, when you started, it was just you and Jeff, right? That's right, yep. And my wife Gina, she would be in the office doing the paperwork. Right. First so year, yeah. it's a it's a it's a two man one woman operation in 1985. And yep. when your partner, 85, 86, yeah. when your partner, Jeff recently sold, sold out to who, who did yep. Lakeside logistics end up getting sold to? You know, who finally ended up owning it? Uber. Really? Uber. Uber owns it now. Okay. Yeah. It went to trans freight or something, trans something out of Dallas. And then Uber bought it. No kidding. So, but like, so when <laughs> no you, kidding. when you, what, what year did you retire? Uh, 2009, I suppose. 2009, 2010, I was finally out of it. And how many employees did Lakeside Logistics have at that time? Uh, there was about 40 of us. So you built it up from you and Jeff and Gina to 40 people. Yep. Yeah. And how much, and, and how much, so like, what was your guys' annual throughput in 2009? By 2009, we we're running about 55 million. That's not bad. No, we're doing good. Yeah. And how many, so yeah. it, it, could you break that down? So 55 million, how many loads had you moved in one year? Holy shit. At that time. Can't even, Cody. I can't even imagine how many. You know, <laughs> probably thirty-five thousand, maybe. Wow, that's quite a bit. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. So you start in nineteen eighty-five. You see this opportunity with the with the opening up of the trucking business. Deregulation happened in the United States in nineteen eighty. It sort of came a couple of years later in Canada. Yep. Uh, and you guys start Lakeside Freight Systems. How 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 did that evolve in the first few years? And as a as a new business owner, like yourself and Auntie Gina and Jeff, like 
how how did it how did the growth go what were the lessons you learned along the way in the very beginning like how did that all crack out well the first thing was uh, everybody that we had dealt with over the years were just not too sure about this brokerage business because there was a lot of guys out there in the brokerage business that didn't play the game right you know they grabbed the money and left and didn't pay people uh but we were not like that you know my the whole thing about was trustworthy and the customers that i had and knew me they trusted me and i think that's what happened and we just from there we built a very good reputation in the business and that's basically what drove us to be so successful you know so you you made it uh you made it a priority to make sure the carriers got paid oh absolutely you know i i wouldn't care about anything else a carrier got paid and he got paid in 30 days even if we had to wait you know 60 and sometimes 90 days for our money we made sure they had their money up front so they trusted us and you know and we only use carriers that we could count on that they looked after the freight, you know what I mean? To make sure it was there on time and everything else. And if, you know, and a lot of times in that, in our business and the trucking business, as you well know, uh, things happen. So I always made sure that all our staff always told the truth to the customer. Yes, the truck is stuck here and here's what's happened. He never lied saying, oh, he's going to be there in an hour. He's going to be there in an hour. Never. I wouldn't even tolerate that. Right. So being, being honest with your clients and being honest and paying your carriers was one of the keys to your success. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because now we, now they could trust us. Everybody trusted us. Customer knew that we weren't telling them bullshit and the carrier, he always got his money. Bang. It was very important. That was very important. Right. And so who are some of your clients? I I remember Campbell's Soup being one of the big ones. Campbell's Soup was a big one. Allied Colloids was a big one. Ocean Spray was another big one. Nabisco Brands was another big one. I mean, you know, you're talking some of the top level clients, you know, in the world at that time. Right. And, and moving and, and moving many, many loads for them. Uh, I believe, oh, yeah. I, I believe you guys branched into uh, rail freight and a few other uh, non trucking modes as well. I don't, I don't think we ever, never got involved in the, in the rail part of it. We never touched on that. We stayed strictly with the trucking because we understood it the best and we were better at that than anything else. So Okay. So we stayed with that, you know. I just mm-hmm. I, I I remember this story dad telling me about um Mark Williams and you having to hustle numerous um uh piggybacks or containers from a rail yard to make sure Campbell's got covered over the course of one weekend when the train screwed up. Yeah. Uh I forget yeah, I think we did something like that one time, yeah. We we got involved in some odd things sometimes, and I can't remember them all. Now I'm getting too old. 
<laughs> Man, you know, there's one, one, one guy who left us too early. I wish was still alive is Mark Williams. What an interesting character. He was, uh, he was a pretty good trucker because he worked for us for, uh, as an owner operator in the city. And Mark was, uh, yeah, he was, he was good. Yeah. Different, but good. <laughs> <laughs> you got to be different to be in the trucking business. No kidding. <laughs> All right. So, uh, my, uh, cousin Carson, your son, he's, he's still working, uh, hustling freight. Yeah. He's a, he's a dispatcher for a company out of Beamsville, Ontario. Yeah. And, uh, he doesn't enjoy the business as much as you did. And I did <laughs> but, he <doesn't> because he's <laughs> but because that's where he learned. And I guess that's his in your bones. Uh, he, he does, does all right, but he's not a happy guy with it. Right. No. And how about, uh, which is a sad thing. How about, uh, cousin Samantha who, who you left behind down in Florida? Well, Samantha still, uh, got with transfreight down there. Uh, you know, she's still a part of that. She's always got her finger in something down there due to the trucking and, and, uh, and freight, you know, so she does all right. Right. And she, she, she was the, uh, she was the connection to got that got Paramount, your trucking division hooked up doing all those concerts back in the day. Well, uh, yeah, some of that, but that was more of a, the concert was more of a guy we were involved in up in Canada. And we did such a good job for him that the concert guys started to talk to us directly and uh, that's where we got the KISS operation going. That's where your your dad looked after that. He ran with them for about six months on the KISS tour. So we were involved in that. But uh, Samantha wasn't too involved in that, no. Okay. Because I, I think yeah. I seem to recall she worked for these guys in San Francisco um, called Hassett Air Freight. And then one of her air freight clients was the same guys that did all the t-shirts that you, that we were hauling uh, signatures networks. That could be, yeah, could be. Yeah, that could be. But one of my guys that uh, was working, uh, Oh God. His name just escapes me. Jeez. But he worked for me for a long time. He was very much involved with, uh, with the concert tours and all that stuff. And, uh, and he uh, he looked after it, and we did such a good job with it that uh, we looked after all the concerts coming in and out of Canada, and some in the states too. Um, so spe speaking of people, um, family, and other employees, like one one of the things I noticed about you, yourself, Lakeside, the Paddocks, um, various successful companies, is the is the proclivity towards like seeing and maintaining and honoring talent so like you, you've had some really exactly. good people work for you oh yes and but we treated them right too you know what a person used to come to work for me and they'd work for me for a couple of weeks and i'd say to them you made any mistakes today i said oh no you know they said no no i didn't make mistakes well i said you better get making some mistakes because if you're making mistakes you're making decisions and that's what i want from you 
And that's the way I believed it. People are going to make mistakes. But you know, the same mistakes and the same mistakes, then you're fired. <laughs> well, as long as they're you know, learning from them. And I mean, yeah, if you make a mistake and you yeah. learn from it and you grow and you, you, you move along. That's exactly right, Gordy. And that's what I used to say with, to people. Get out there and make some mistakes. Now you're making decisions. I always believed the guys on the desk had to have the ability to not worry about it, to make a decision. Don't run to me to make a decision. You make it. You know, right. So, so, so having, having, having the trust to be able to delegate that authority and having, and, and, and making that, finding that out about one of your employees quickly so that you can keep around the kind of people that you can trust them to make the correct decisions. Yeah, exactly. And giving them the ability to make, to make decisions, you know, and don't give them a hard time because they make a mistake. What the hell they're learning, you know? Right. So another, another word for this is agency, which is something that we seem to, uh, there's something about our culture in 2023 that's uh, sort of antagonistic towards agency. That's right. Yeah. I mean, how can anybody grow unless they make mistakes? It's impossible. You know, I mean, I made lots of mistakes. And I grew from it, you know. And I grow without so, making so, so on that note, what kind of mistakes did you make you or Jeff, or let's say, I know, I know one of your employees, I haven't mentioned yet, Alan Maddock, who worked for you for a long time. Like what, what sort of mistakes did you guys make in the early days um, of developing and starting Lakeside Freight Systems that, you know, were, were key in learning from that you might advise other people to avoid making or to learn from, as you say, your mistake. Uh, some places that we made mistakes, we hauled for people that were not credible people. And, you know, we did work for them and they didn't pay their bills. You know, there's a lot of people like that too. You know, and, uh, and, or they'd hold your money for 120 days, you know what I mean? And you had to chase the pants off them to get it. You know, that type of thing. <laughs> so don't, don't do that for too long. Don't no, don't do that for too long. I mean, you, the guy might be giving you the best in the business in the world, but by God, when the money comes time to come in the door, it doesn't come in. <laughs> yeah, keep away from those type of people. Yeah. Right. Um, did you guys? You guys would have developed. So if if you're if you're a freight broker or in logistics, there's there's a lot of a lot of players on the market. And right now, you know, I, I sort of follow a few people that discuss these things. There's, there's an overcapacity and there's this young guy in Arizona who is definitely going to listen to this. Hi, Reed. Um, <laughs> his name's Reed and he, he's in the uh, sort of brokerage uh, freight hustling side of things. And with, he, he mentioned to me that there's something like 14,000 load brokers in the United States right now. Oh, I wouldn't be surprised. That's an awful lot of middlemen. I mean, there, there, there's there's value in having somebody that can make connections for you. But like, you know, what happens to your mind or opinion when there's like that many people operating in the market? 
Well, it just drives down the it drives down the price. <laughs> Instead of making a hundred dollars a load, you're making twenty five dollars a load. Okay, so you got to move a lot of freight to pay the bills. So I, I, I'm not sure exactly how to answer even that. You know what I mean when <laughs> when you think of the the business, it's a, a brokerage business, even other brokers, insurance brokers, or anything else like that. There's always some middleman making a few bucks off the top. There's just no question. But he's got the connections. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, but traffic man, traffic manager thinks you know that they know it all, but they don't know nothing about the business. As far as finding, uh, you know, trucks in 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 no land Nebraska. I need a truck and no, no, you know, it's steak and rack truck and no land Nebraska. Well, the broker knows. Trucking company or the the company that wants to move that freight, they don't know. Or they should know that the broker should know, right? As part of that's, that's as part point. as part of the value proposition to your clients, that ability yep. to be able to cover that as soon as possible yep. or basically immediately is where the value yeah. is. That's exactly right. You know, and, and at a decent price. You know, Cause one thing about the carriers the tra- <laughs> is sometimes they, they get a little bit, you know, greedy themselves. So I'll, I'll try and charge them this. When you know the rate, you know what the truck should pay. The broker should. So, he adds a little bit on for himself and he gets the truck. And that's why the prices of everything went down after they got rid of the Teamsters. And that's the biggest reason. Right. So, so, so where, you know, where, 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 where does this um, getting rid of the Teamsters, as you put it, factor into the, the freight brokerage business? Well, you know, it wasn't actually the Teamsters. It was more the ICC. Once you got deregulation over away, then you could make things happen. That's what I say about the load from Toronto to Buffalo is $900 down to $300. The load to, you know, to San Francisco was, you know, six, seven, eight thousand dollars We dropped down to about $3,000, you know? It was just that's the way it happened at that time. Where, where where was all that excess cake off the top going though? So you you you've dropped these rates, which is good for the the people paying, right? Like he who pays yeah. the piper calls the tune, so it's it's good for yeah. the guy paying the piper. But what about the people at the bottom end actually doing the work? Well, <laughs> you, you know what? When I was trucking. Okay, even as a driver and and just after that short career, you were making more money than the average guy because you're putting in the hours. Now, you're not. Everybody talks about the shortage of trucking. It's not a shortage of trucking. There's two major things that are that have happened, and that is the wages have dropped compared to the amount of hours you're putting in for the trucker. Okay, that's A. B. Women don't put up with a guy being gone all the time. Marriage and 
things have changed that. Years ago, a female would, you know, would hang in there because the guy was making a big buck. And also, <laughs> they had a different attitude at the time. So a guy could be gone for a week and, you know, that was normal part of life. Right. Do you, so, do you understand what I mean there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I get it. Totally. Um, on that note, uh, right about now. So uh, in the 2019, uh, the United States mm -hmm. Bureau of Labor Statistics showed that like 94% of truckers are dudes, right? It's a very male dominated business. And That's I'm imagining correct. it was much the same, let's say, in 1970, but it might have been mm -hmm. closer to 99. I don't know. How often did you see female truckers in 1970 or 71? You didn't. You didn't. It might have been the odd one, but it was very, very rare. Right. And now it's a little less rare, but it's still kind of rare. It's still somewhat. Oh, it is rare. It's still, it's still see the amount of, of equipment. Uh, pardon me? Yeah, when you see the amount of equipment on the road now, it's still, it's still rare. You know, it's still the small percentage would be females. Right. It's just, it's just not that. Uh, the, the, there's something about the female personality that trucking just doesn't speak to it, you know? That's right. Exactly. But on the on uh, your office though at Lakeside, I recall there there was quite a few quite a few girls in your office. Mm hmm. Oh no! I'll tell you what, they're they're great dispatchers. They know what they're doing, and they you know because they're meticulous, and they add up. And the best some of the best teams I ever had was a male of uh, husband and wife teams. They were the best teams to run with, like trucking teams. You know, yeah. Because she kept him on the straight and narrow and also did all the paperwork properly. You know what I mean? And uh, they were on time all the time. Right. Yeah. Interesting. I haven't, uh, I, I, no woman I've ever been with ever really came trucking with me. I wouldn't expect Jenna to go get her CDL and run team with me at all. So I've never <laughs> been part of that. I've never, I've, I've never been part of that. I mean, I've seen, I've met lots of, uh, husband-wife teams, but to get that perspective from somebody on the management side to say a husband and wife team is actually a really good thing. That's that's interesting perspective. Oh, very much so. I always would preferred that because they did the job properly. You know, you had, you had yin and yang in there and they worked. Very good. So what what do you got going on for the rest of your summer? Are you going to be still uh, doing oversized escorts like on a part-time basis? Yeah. Yeah. We keep running wings into, uh, into Montreal. So that's kind of one of my little gigs there that every Thursday you do that. that. That keeps me off the streets at all the bars. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, I mean, I enjoy that. It, it, kept, it gives me something I was pretty getting pretty bored, Gary. So I had to, I went to Scott at Paddock's and I said, "Listen, can you give me something to do?" And he gave me something to do, so that's good. Do you still hmm. maintain your class A? No, I do not have it because I I meant to do it here, 
and they went on strike and I just let it go. Yeah. Right. Too For bad. a long time, if I recall correctly, the province of Ontario was making drivers over the age of 65 reset their test every year. That's correct. Yep. And did they ever still stop? doing it? They're still doing it. I, I think that now it's a, I think it's a little higher age. I think it's 80 or something now. You got to do it every year. Right. Yeah. Cause a lot of older guys I knew were all of a sudden magically getting licenses in Manitoba and Alberta so that they didn't have to <laughs> put up with Ontario's yeah. retesting regime. Yeah. Right. You know, and you know, I mean, re- what's funny Go to ahead. me is um, they were giving all you old timers who could probably drive a truck with blindfolded, but um, they sure don't do very much to make sure that the new guys coming in are any good. Well, you know what? I, I see that on the road now driving and even going to Florida and a few times that I have, and then on this escort business. And I think to myself, man, the, the quality is just not there anymore, you know, and, and all these, the government's giving so much money to these outfits that are supposedly uh, training these guys and they can't even back up. And good Lord. I mean, when I, when I started my career, you were low. First thing you did is load freight on the dock, you know, <laughs> You know, light stuff on the top, light, heavy stuff on the bottom. Okay. And then you went on from there and, you know, you just drove a straight truck and then you drove bigger trucks. And and that's, that's how you learned, you know, a, a, a natural progression of sorts. That's exactly right. Cody. Yeah. A natural progression, you know, so <laughs> it's a, I don't think you can see that anymore because again, the simple fact is that the money's not there like it used to be. It used to be big money to be a driver because you were gone so much. You know, not anymore. They've, uh, the money's not there anymore. And the women that are married to you, they don't put up with it anymore. You know, you can't be gone all the time. They expect you to be in there changing diapers, same as they are. You know, <laughs> yeah, I certainly um, I, I came off the road to, to be home for my kids. I, I work in a local capacity now. Um, yeah, may, may, maybe someday I'll go back on the road. Uh, they keep saying they're going to automate us away, but I don't know. I'm, I'm fairly skeptical of that. I don't think so. I don't think that'll happen because, I mean, fine, you can send a truck from here to there and it'll do its thing. But who's going to look after the paperwork? Who's going to do, you know, I mean, it, it will evolve to some, you know, it's like two forty-five footers going down the throughway that evolved. I see it now on the 401, 245, 253 foot trailers on the 401, you know, and that, that was unheard of, you know, a few years ago, but I understand what's it, it will evolve to a point. It'll never, you'll never take the guy out of the cab. Not, not while you're still around anyway. <laughs> well, I won't be around much longer, buddy. I'm on the short end of the toilet paper roll. 
<laughs> As you say, you know, life's, life's like a roll of toilet paper. The closer you get to the end, the faster it goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well uncle chris i i really appreciate your time sir this was um this was a fun little chat and i hope uh, the people that listen to my show uh, derive some value from it i hope so too i you know just shooting the breeze <laughs> anyway Gordy, you take care of yourself and thank you very much for calling me and asking me to do it i appreciate it yeah well one of the one of the focuses of this show is to um get uh, older gentlemen that might not play around on the internet as much as us young guys and commit your stories to posterity. So um, I I got, I got my buddy Gavin in New Zealand who I think is 74 and now you, and there's a couple other, couple other older fellows on the list here. I'm going to get to, but um, thanks for joining and and giving me your time. Okay. Gordy. Thank you for asking me. All right. Take care of yourself and look after your family. Yeah, will do. No problem, sir. Way of the road.